As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinions. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. This week's reviewer of the week is Mal1212, and she says, I absolutely love learning about birth. I have had three babies, I'm pregnant with my fourth, and knew so little about the stages of birth, the options slash rights that I have, and what I can do naturally on my own. I love how positive birth is portrayed and taught. I have gained confidence in my ability to give birth and other resources I can turn to for more support. Their birth course is amazing as well, worth every penny. Thank you so much for that review. I kind of love the, I've had three babies, pregnant with my fourth, and now I'm learning all of these things. I feel like there's never a a bad time to start learning about birth. So if that's you, if you're here and this is not your first baby, I love it. It always impresses me when it is the first baby (laughs) and people are like, let me learn all the things. Uh, Podcasts weren't a thing. They were like not a big thing when I had my very first baby over 13 years ago. And I completely wish they were because I don't know about you, but I learn a ton like audiobooks, podcasts. I love to just pop it in, go about my day, and learn a ton. So awesome. This week's episode, you guys, I'm excited about it because I feel like it's something that comes up occasionally. It started coming up again, so I think it's time to talk about it again. But it's something that I feel like kind of we just don't talk about as like a topic of conversation a lot. And that is how Pitocin is used for the third stage of labor. And I've had moms who have come to me and they're like, I wanted this unmedicated birth and whatever. And so they're like, I gave birth to my baby. I had no IV. I had no medication. Uh, And then they, they wanted to put Pitocin. Like I got a shot of Pitocin in my thigh or they wanted me to all of a sudden have an IV with Pitocin. And they started to talk to me about hemorrhage. And I just felt like caught off guard, which 
I think is a little unfair considering the fact that we've got providers who are supposed to talk about the process of birth and what to expect and everything. And I don't think maybe it's even intentional, but I feel like this part gets skipped a little bit where it's like, okay, after the baby's born and we're talking about the birth of the placenta and all of that, I think a lot of what happens is like, oh, my baby's born. I want to make sure I have immediate skin to skin, delayed cord clamping. I want all this stuff done on me. Um, I don't want them to leave my room, all of that kind of thing. And then we forget that there are there is some management that can very commonly happen postpartum in regards to the birth of the placenta and safety for mom and baby. So I want to go over a couple different options that you have uh, when it comes to how you choose to allow your placenta to be born. And I will also say that this conversation needs to happen with your provider uh, I would have it as early as possible. This is a conversation you want to have prior to being in labor. You don't want to have to worry about this during the actual birth of the baby or the immediate postpartum because especially in hospital settings, um, providers work quickly postpartum in what I'm going to talk to you about, which is some active management, but in how they help that delivery of the placenta happen. Remember that you guys get to choose. So as I'm talking about this podcast episode, I want to make it really clear that you have a choice and a say in every step of the way and every part of your body as we're talking about labor, birth, delivery of baby and placenta and anything else. So keep that in mind. Even if you feel like sometimes you might be strong armed into one way or another, you actually get to say. So I think this is the question. It's why is my provider planning to give me a shot of Pitocin before I deliver my placenta? What is the deal with that? So oftentimes, especially in a hospital setting, you've had your baby, they're on your stomach or whatever is happening. And the immediate thing is let's make sure we get mom a shot of Pitocin. And so there's like this big wait. I don't know if I want that. What are my benefits and risks? And the provider's like, this, if this is how we do it, we move quickly and, and all of that. So I think it's a, a great question. I'm going to go over the different timelines and scenarios in which your provider might want to do that Pitocin um, to prevent or stop heavy bleeding that might occur. So the idea behind this is to prevent hemorrhage, which is a leading cause of maternal death, even here in the United States. So um, just and as a reminder, I, I'm not here to give medical advice. That is to be had with your provider. This is going to be hopefully somebody that you trust in your birth space. That way, whatever you've discussed, you can trust whatever decision-making happens once that baby is born. And we're talking about the removal of the placenta, the birth of the placenta. So um, my job is to make sure that you get all the facts and you have all the information so that you can talk to your provider and work out a good plan based off of a well-informed decision that works for you guys. And you know what? I actually just recently, um, I follow a couple of midwifery things online. And so my big soapbox is informed consent, right? You guys have heard me talk about that a million times over. What I loved about what they, they changed it to, like, let's stop calling it informed consent and talk about informed choice. And I feel like this is, I could like blow this up into a larger conversation because I feel like sometimes um, I absolutely love that idea that this is a choice. This is informed choice. Mom gets to make the choice. Um, however, sometimes I do feel like consent is the word because it's like, ah, that wouldn't be my choice, but I'm consenting to this procedure. Like I agree that even though I don't like this, I'm giving you the ability to move forward with this procedure. But I liked that idea because um, the whole the whole thing behind it is you have a choice and I 100% agree with this. So 
Let's dive in. Third stage of labor is what happens after your baby is born. So first stage is that like early stage of labor um, all the way through to when you f- you go through transition, which is we, the late first stage of labor would be transition. And then we move on to the second stage of labor, which is considered the pushing stage. The third stage of labor is baby is born and it's the delivery or birth of the placenta. So that's what we're talking about right now is the third stage of labor. Now, what happens after that baby is born is your uterus continues to contract. It continues to um, to squeeze and to push even though the baby is gone. And the reason for that is after baby is born, it is trying to contract and help push out your placenta safely. And this is one of the reasons that we recommend immediate skin to skin, immediate breastfeeding, because with the baby nuzzling at the breasts, um, that produces oxytocin, which helps the uterus to have stronger contractions or contractions at all, um, which is going to help deliver that or birth that placenta safely. And so what happens is as the uterus contracts, the placenta begins to pull off or let go of the uterine wall. And it should do this kind of slowly, um, especially if left uninhibited. And so it starts kind of pulling off of that uterine wall. And as it's letting go of the uterine wall, there's these little tiny blood clots that are forming right behind it so that we don't bleed out or hemorrhage. And as I had said, hemorrhage is a leading cause of maternal death in the United States, but all over the world. And so making sure that mom's bleeding is under control postpartum as soon as baby's born is the provider's immediate what they're paying attention to. So that's why you have the provider in the room, especially in a hospital setting, and you've got um, other nurses and providers there that are helping with the baby. So we've got people that are looking at the baby and then your your hospital provider, whether that's a midwife or an OB, is paying attention to you and your bleeding and that placenta. Um, anyways, the science behind this is your contractions continue to build on that uterine wall and it separates that pl- placenta from the wall um, and aids in the expulsion of that process. Now there's two methods to managing the third stage of labor and well, there's really three and we're going to talk about all three. Um, but the last one is kind of just combined of the two, but I, I want to start with active management. This is the most common. Um, and I'm going to say the most common because the majority of women give birth in hospitals and this is what is used in hospitals. So it's called m- active management of third stage. And what it looks like is a very hands-on approach to preventing postpartum hemorrhage. Um, which is, in case you're not familiar with hemorrhage, I'm sure most of you are, but it is an extreme amount of blood loss that can lead to things like, you know, mom passing out. It could lead eventually, you know, to death or to needing a blood transfusion. Um, it's It can be scary when it ends up being a really serious thing. Good news is the majority of women do not um, have postpartum hemorrhage or die from postpartum hemorrhage. It is just something to be aware of uh, and that exists once you are, anyways, with birth (laughs) and as part of the postpartum period. So I don't want to freak you out. It's just something to be aware of. And I want to talk about this Pitocin. So I will tell you that the CDC estimates that around 11% of pregnancy-related deaths, so remember, there's the big group of pregnancy-related deaths, and then within that group, 11% um, are due to postpartum hemorrhage. 
Okay, so hopefully, as I said, 11%, you guys caught on. Okay, it's not the leading cause postpartum. However, it is the leading cause on the day of birth. Uh, So in other words, it's something that they want to and have to get control of really quickly should there be an issue. So I know it sounds scary, but I want to go over these options. That way you know how you would choose to handle it. Now, in active management, the first thing that's done is an administration of uterotonic. And the most common ones, and the ones that I've seen here, and I'm talking about specifically in the hospitals that I've been in Utah, um, is going to be Pitocin. That's going to be the immediate um, if you have an IV already, they're going to, and if you've had any Pitocin, they're going to crank it way up. And if you haven't had the Pitocin, they're going to add that bag. As soon as baby is born, it'll already be ready. there, plugged in, ready to go. Um, and they crank that Pitocin up to make sure that that uterus really gets clamped down and can make sure to take care of hopefully, um, the postpartum hemorrhaging or preventing it. And then the other one that I see a lot, uh, is Cytotec or Misoprostol. And that is the one, um, that anyways, conversation for another time, but it's also used in induction. It's also used in abortion, but again, conversation for another time. But what it does is uterotonic. It helps your uterus contract really strongly. And so if the Pitocin isn't working, that's like a milder form of a uterotonic, then they'll use something like Cytotec. Um, and usually when that, when Cytotec is done postpartum, it's a tablet or two, whether they break it off or add one or two of them directly into your, um, into your behind. So they gloved finger, shove those up there, and then it can start making sure that that uterus is really contracting and clamping down to to make sure that the bleeding stops. With active management, it's whether or not you're hemorrhaging. This is just... Um, it's preventative in this case. So it's directly after you give birth to the baby. That's what happens. And then part of that active management is that immediate clamping and cutting of the cord. So it's like, baby's out. We're going to clamp cut while the nurse is given that Pitocin and make sure that things are moving quickly. And so if you're listening, you're like, wait, what if I want to make sure that my baby gets all of their cord blood and all of that? So I'll get to that in a second. Um, but that's the idea. It's it's pretty active. And then on top of that, they after that cord is clamped and cut, they uh, with the scissors that have clamped it, they're not scissors, but they look like scissors. They're clamped, but they've got like where you can put your fingers in like scissors. If I'm not making sense, I apologize. But anyways, they use that clamp and then they hold onto it. They kind of grab the clamp and that is that is clamped on to the cord, which baby is now disconnected. So they're just grabbing onto the part of the cord that is still attached to the placenta that is still inside of you attached to your uterus. And as they have Pitocin in the body and the baby is disconnected, they start pulling on that cord. It's called cord traction, just like it sounds, and pushing down on the top of your uterus at the same time to try and squeeze that uterus down, make sure it's clamping, and also pulling on the placenta to make sure that it lets go of the uterus. Now, my personal unmedical opinion is that when we do things like this, there are other side effects that can happen. Uh, in my opinion, I think pulling, and they say they do it gently, and I have also seen it done, and I don't believe it is all gently. Uh, I believe that the pulling of a placenta off of the uterine wall, rather than your body having contractions and allowing it to let go as it creates those little blood clots that I talked about behind it, 
I actually believe can cause more of a hemorrhage. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. This is my personal unmedical opinion. I think of like a scab or um, anytime that you're pulling something off instead of going slow. And if you, you think, like I said, just not having time for those blood clots to form, I feel like you're going to open, it's more of opening a wound. Our bodies are smart, just like it knows how to birth our baby. Not that we don't need help birthing our babies and not that we won't need help postpartum to deliver our placentas. But I do believe that our bodies are smart and they're capable and they can do these things on their own as well. Not always, and especially with your history and whatever else, there are absolutely reasons for um, any kind of management. And again, it's working with a provider that you trust and knows you and your situation and all of that. That is my unmedical opinion on that part of it. Now, here's let's talk about expectant management. Here's the other side, the other way of doing this, and often what I see done in out-of-hospital, whether that's birth center or home birth settings. So expectant management is referred to as the, quote, wait and watch approach. And it's one that's adopted, like I said, by most midwives in an out-of-hospital birth setting. It is pretty rare to find this in a hospital, though you absolutely can. And so again, it's really important to have this conversation with your provider earlier rather than later. But it's just kind of what it sounds like, this watch and wait. So you're going to, they'll wait while your uterus contracts on its own um, with the aid of early breastfeeding and skin to skin. Uh, With gravity and the contractions, they want to see if that helps the placenta do its job or your uterus do its job and deliver or birth that placenta on its own. I will tell you really quick my own experience with the expectant management. Uh, with my third birth. This is exactly what was done at my home birth when I had my baby at my house. I gave birth to my baby. My uterus, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was tired. I don't know. Did not want to let go of that placenta until about 30 minutes later. And my midwife was not worried at all. Um, as it got a little bit later though, and I had the baby on my my chest, I had all the, I had delayed cord clamping. Um, and then I put baby on my chest and I was nursing. Um, even with all of that, the placenta was not coming out right away or even after... 25 minutes or so. And so my midwife said, I'm just going to give a little tug. Um, and we're going to see if we can encourage this placenta to come off. And when I say gentle tugging, that's exactly what she did. So when they say, um, for these, you know, we're going to do a little bit of cord traction and it's gentle. And I've seen that compared to what my midwife did, What I would say my midwife did was gentle. You do have to have a little bit of, um, you know, force with it because it's attached to that uterine wall, but it was very different from what I've seen in the hospitals. 
And I think she was at that edge of like, okay, like <laughs> we don't want it to become concerning. Uh, let's continue to help this, this placenta off. And if you're curious about what I'm talking about with like, well, who cares if it takes an hour? Uh, the thing with it is, and sometimes it does, sometimes it will take, you know, 45 minutes or so. It's on the more rare side of things. Most placentas deliver themselves in about 10 to 20 minutes. But anyways, um, it can become an issue because of something called placenta accreta. And that is where the um, placenta has dug and grown into the uterine wall. And then you not only need support to get it out during that time, but you'll probably need a DNC or dilation and curatage to make sure that all of the placenta is removed from that uterine wall because it grows into it. Anyways, so it can just cause, it can cause serious postpartum issues in another direction. So instead of the like all the bleeding out and stuff, we're causing issues with it like grabbing on and not letting go. So I think she was making sure that that was not my issue. But mine left alone about 30 minutes. And that does not happen in a hospital setting. And it doesn't happen in a hospital setting because they don't allow it to happen in a hospital setting. But I did not hemorrhage. I did not need anything postpartum. Uh, and myself and my baby were fine. So I just want to give you a different, just so you have some different ideas of what it can look like. My other ones were, were they, we did active management for those placentas um, and that's how they were birthed. And I also was fine and I also didn't have hemorrhage. So there are different ways to do the same thing. Um, I think it comes down to preference and you having all of your options in order to make that your decision. Now let's talk about some interventions that are used in expectant management. So if there are issues, well, there's different ways that you can do it, but a uterotonic like Pitocin, like we had talked about, it's not administered to prevent heavy bleeding before it happens. So with the wait and watch, you wait, you got somebody down there in between your legs, making sure the bleeding isn't too heavy. They're using rags. They're counting, um, you know, liquid measurements of like how much is too much, how many rags have we soaked? Like, you know, is it time to do something to get some support here? Um, and then if it looks like, you know what, this is too much bleeding. I'm not happy about this. I want to make sure we get ahead of this before it gets worse. Then your midwife can use something like Pitocin. They can use that uterotonic. Uh, delayed cord clamping is still practiced. So once baby is born, the delayed cord clamping begins. We wait till that is done pulsing, till the cord is white, the baby's put on your belly or on your chest, and then it is clamped and cut while they're paying attention to the bleeding and all of that. Uh, and then mom helps deliver or birth that placenta with a little bit of a push. And it's so scary. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if you have no medication and you gave birth to your baby and you feel that, and this is my experience, this is not every mom's experience, but you feel that like filling of your vaginal area again. And you're like, oh my gosh, no, I can't give birth again right now. So for you having twins, you were my heroes. But anyways, and it, you're just like, oh. <gasps> And then it releases and <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. It came out just fine. Um, it's squishy. There's nothing hard there. It just kind of like blah, 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 doesn't come out, right? Um, anyways, so that is what happens with the expectant management. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more because out-of-hospital midwives also, they carry things like Pitocin and stuff. Remember, I did the midwives episode and I talked to you about which midwives carry what. Um, but out-of-hospital midwives can also use things like herbs. And oftentimes they will use this even if they have Pitocin prior to using something like Pitocin. And that can be something like yarrow or blue cohosh. I'm probably saying that wrong. Is it cohosh? I feel like I say that one wrong every time and I can't remember which one's correct. Uh, witch hazel, motherwort, 
Anyways, there's others that can stop that bleeding or work as like a uterotonic, right? Uh, but then they can also use that Pitocin as well. And it's also common with out-of-hospital births, although a, a few, not only midwives, but I have seen some OBs even who are open to this kind of thing in hospital. Um, another thing that you can do is once the baby is disconnected from mom, you can cut off a piece of the umbilical cord and stick it in mom's cheek. Um, it doesn't matter which side, but just in between the cheek, like the cheek and the teeth uh, on the gums and the oxytocin, there's a ton of oxytocin in the placenta and also in that umbilical cord. So if you're trying to get the placenta out, it'll be a piece of the umbilical cord washed off, stuck in there that can increase contractions naturally with oxytocin, which is our body's natural, you know, hormone that we use to get a baby out. Or if the placenta comes out and then we've got a ton of hemorrhaging. Um, you can cut off a piece of the placenta and rinse it off and put it in the cheek and same thing that can help stop bleeding. And I have seen this done successfully. Um, as I've said, I've seen it actually done in the hospital with both an OB and a midwife. So it just depends on your care provider, but know that that's an option. And if it grosses you out and you don't even want to think of that option, that's fine too. But I think it's fair that you know that it is an option. Now, lastly, we've got the mixed management, and that's just what it sounds like. It's a mix of the active management, some of those things, and the expectant management, the, some of the watch and wait things. How it is done is going to depend on you and your medical history, how your provider uh, feels comfortable or whatever their process is postpartum, as well as your preferences. If you're like, I don't care. This is how I want it done. I get to choose. It's my body. This is this is the way that I would like to go. Now, the tricky part about that is once you've given birth to your baby and they're on your chest, there are some preferences that you have, but you can't see what's going on downstairs. And so this is why it's really important that you have a provider that you trust. That way, if you're like, this is exactly what I want and they need to do something a little different because things are changing just like birth. And even though we have a plan, things can change. Uh, then I think that's a really great place to have some movement there and say, okay, yeah, if we get to this point and you work out what those, those markers are with you and your provider that you can say, okay, then, then you do what you need to do and finish things up. So let me talk about just a few ways that we can handle this mixed management. So it might look like you choose to accept something like Pitocin, but you would still like to have the delayed cord clamping until it stops. And you want to make sure that you get to birth that placenta all on your own. So the only thing you're opting for is the Pitocin. So baby is still attached to the cord. They get to come to your chest, be on your belly, which can increase the chance of it letting go on its own anyways, or help even with that Pitocin that they've used. And then you say no cord traction, let it be born on its own. Um, or you can choose, I don't want any of that Pitocin, but I would like baby delayed cord clamping on my chest. And I would, I'm totally comfortable once we've done the delayed cord clamping for you to help encourage with some cord traction, um, my placenta from letting go and you can mix it any other way you want it. So that's just some ideas for you to give you an idea of what that might look like for you postpartum. But, um, basically I don't believe that there's any one way that is going to be perfect to manage the third stage of labor. And I think you absolutely need to have a say that this is one of those individual things that you get to choose how you do that. So based off of studies that compared things like active and expectant and active and mixed management, um, all women, regardless of their risk of severe postpartum hemorrhage, may have a reduced severe bleeding and anemia 
with the active management approach. So that's why it's kind of this universal thing that we use. Um, and I mean, in the United States, but all over the world, this is the like, they call it kind of that their gold standard for reducing these risks of postpartum hemorrhage. Now, here in the United States, we have a lot more access to things and, and our medical care is a little bit different than everywhere in the world. However, when you're talking about the entire world, <laughs> that it ends up being a benefit. And so I guess even just being here in the United States, we kind of get that, um, the benefit of choosing, you know, which way we want to handle this. But it can also possibly lead to a reduction in baby's birth weight. And they say that's probably likely to the immediate cutting of the cord because remember, they are missing a volume of their blood if you cut that right away. And so that would look like an even more reduced birth weight. So make sure that you keep that in mind. And then there's also concern about uh, the cord traction, which as I had talked about possibly in my unmedical opinion, causing some postpartum hemorrhage. Um, there, there is the possibility that part of the placenta with that traction can be torn off and left behind. And so then a mom can come back to the hospital weeks later with some heavy bleeding, cramping issues that way and need a dilation and curatage, another way to get the placenta completely out. Uh, so that is just so that you're aware. Those are some of the risks involved with it. And then just food for thought. If you are a mom that is being induced, uh, it might be something on your marker. It, you may choose because of the induction process to change up how you would typically do your postpartum in regards to the birth of your placenta. Because when you start an induction, you start contractions right away and you use something called Pitocin. And those Pitocin contractions are a little heavier, a little stronger. They can kind of, um, not always by any means, but there might be a possibility of it wearing out your uterus just a little bit so that that postpartum the uterus is a little more tired than it might normally be. And so you might need something like a shot of Pitocin or whatever to kind of help and get things under control. So maybe just have that in the back of your mind as you're planning and preparing for your birth. Uh, I think that would be really good information to be able to use as well. Now, I know I just threw a ton of information at you. Um, so I hope you took notes, but I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe, maybe some of it you've taken notes. And as I've said before, put it in your phone <laughs> so that you can take those questions with you. But I think the great thing about having a podcast like this, you can go back and listen. Maybe it's something you want your birth partner to listen to. Uh, if nothing else, it should be something that you are discussing with your provider as early as possible. There is never a bad time to have a conversation with your provider about what you are hoping to see happen during your birth process. So um, whether or not you feel more comfortable getting the Pitocin and doing active management or a mixed approach, or you just want to wait, I think that conversation with your provider is what's going to help you decide what is best for you. What I think is interesting too, um, as we're talking about finding a good provider for yourself and somebody who's going to be on board with what you think um, or with what you desire for your body, for your pregnancy and for your birth, is if you understand your options and you can talk to that provider about, you know, if you bring these options and you're like, I would really like to try to do this. I feel like this is one of those things. If you went to your provider and talked about the Pitocin in the third stage, this could help you gauge, is this provider for me? And it doesn't necessarily matter what his response is, what he chooses to do regularly or, or what, what happens that way, but it's how are you made to feel with something like this, did this kind of throw up a red flag that like, no, no matter what, this is the safest thing, trust me, you know, whatever. Or does it lead to a conversation that kind of goes over some body autonomy and preference and 
Um, you know, because I'll tell you right now that if, if you chose to do it one way or another, it's, I mean, I just feel like sometimes things are said in such a way that makes it feel like you are harming yourself and your baby if you don't do it this way. And there is not a one size fits all for everything. So back to my informed consent or informed choice. I hope you love this episode and I can't wait to see you again next week. That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.